give our full attention to this actually as we come to the conclusion of this sermon series of 2 Corinthians. I'll read it for us, verse 1. This is Apostle Paul. I must go on boasting, though there, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. If and when you read about people like Apostle Paul or hear of what Apostle Paul did and suffered for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is very easy to dismiss him, to just pass him off as, well, you know, people like Apostle Paul, they're just different. You know, they grew up different. Maybe his personality and disposition was just inclined to be more spiritual than I ever will be. Paul obviously was a man of amazing resilience, even physical constitution and perseverance to have traveled and to have been physically harmed that many times and stay alive. Oh, people like Paul, they're just more called by God. They're more anointed by God. They have more the Holy Spirit of God. They're more blessed by God. Maybe they're more favored by God. They're just elite. They have a better offset of skills than I ever would have. My friends, a lot of times I've thought that. Please beware. Because if you think that about Apostle Paul, notice how that excuses all of us from ever entertaining Or seriously considering, uh, I should be a lot more like Apostle Paul. Beware how that excuses the rest of us and isolates and idolizes the very few. Most of whom are headed for a fall when they are so isolated and idolized. Last week from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we learned how God made Paul weak. Have you really come to Jesus yet? Everyone in this room? Has there ever been a moment that you came to Jesus in repentance and faith, 
Do you remember what that's like? You came in utter weakness. What if the way in which you first came to Jesus Christ is the best possible position or posture you could ever find yourself in? Well then, God doesn't just make you weak. He will make sure to keep you weak. That's today. Last week, God made Paul weak. This week, God made sure to keep him weak. Three things to guide us along. First is the pendulum. I'll call it the pendulum. Second, the thorn. Third, the paradox. The paradox of all paradoxes. It's the climactic paradox of this letter. First, the pendulum. Paul, in verses 1, 5, and 6, three whole verses, and then a couple verses from chapter 11. It's almost like Paul can't get around to boasting. Like, it just takes him so much effort. Like, he's fumbling. He's long-winded. He's almost incoherent. Usually, he's very clear and logical. I must, I will, but I will not. I wish to, but I don't want you to think I'm a fool. I will refrain from it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Just some of the phrases in our passages. Why is it so hard for this man? What is so hard for him to do? Boasting. Paul hated bragging or boasting about himself. But he must in this passage. Just a note, this is a very good acid test to differentiate and discern false apostles, cult leaders, abusive, toxic leaders, even in the name of God, from the real thing like Apostle Paul. Paul hated, hated boasting about himself. But he has to. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, written by none other, Paul's very good friend, a physician, Dr. Luke, here's what Luke recorded. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. All right. So a handkerchief or an apron that had just grazed the skin of Apostle Paul could go and cure and relieve people of sicknesses and diseases and the demons would depart? Let me ask you, of all of Apostle Paul's letters, tell me one time Paul himself brags about this. Isn't that astounding? I mean, just think about that. Dr. Luke records it. You see, Luke talks about it. Paul never talks about it. Acts chapter 20, I can relate with this, with Apostle Paul. One of the few things I can relate with with Apostle Paul, I guess he was preaching or teaching for too long. It said it was reaching midnight again, according to Dr. Luke. And a young man by the name of Eutychus from the third story, he fell asleep, fell asleep. Yes, people can fall asleep during a sermon. But Eutychus fell asleep from the third story and fell and he died. Well, verse 11 Paul went down, bent over Eutychus, just took him in his arms. He took him in his arms, and then he said to him, said to the crowd, who was just so shocked and grieved, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. 
and Eutychus came back to life. Now, if a piece of clothing that you had could be passed around to heal diseases and the demons shriek while they leave, and if you ever raise someone back from death to life, how do you not talk about that? How do you not brag about that? How do you not use that as your calling card? Like, how do you not have speaking tours, bigger stages and shows? How do you not have your name flashing in neon lights and just basically pack out stadiums? How do you not publish books on how to perform miracles like me? How do you not do it? Paul didn't do it. Paul loathed bragging about himself. The real thing. You know, there's certain things that could happen in your life that are so precious, they're so meaningful, they're so personal, you would dare not publicize or advertise it on social media. Like sex. Like maybe your encounter that is genuine with God. Paul here, he just, he doesn't even say, he can't even say it's me, but he says, there's a man in Christ. I know this guy in Christ. We all know it's him. 14 years ago, caught up into the third heaven. I don't even know what that means. I was caught up into paradise. There were visions and revelations given to me that, and I heard things that I cannot utter. They're inexpressibly beautiful and precious. Paul was given revelations and visions into the heights of heaven because he was a true apostle. And you know, I do take heart, do take comfort that because Apostle Paul suffered more than all the other fake apostles. He suffered more than maybe any other Christian next to, of course, Jesus himself, Jesus our Lord and Savior. Because he suffered so much more, I do think God gave him more to comfort and carry him through. And the result of spiritual height, the real result of spiritual ecstasy is real humility. It marks how sacred and precious it really was. Uh, but even for Apostle Paul in our passage, even for him, who is loath to brag about himself, right after the heights of heavenly ecstatic experience, there's a thorn. He says, there was given me a thorn, a thorn in the flesh down below. God raised them up, and then he quickly brought him back down. God allowed him to experience such highs and also experience such lows. Paul explains why. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Did you know there's something worse than the thorn? Whatever this thorn in the flesh that was given to Apostle Paul, do you know there's something more misery-inducing than the thorn? It's conceit. 
It's pride. Last week, we mentioned pride induces and brings on all kinds of miseries to you, and it makes everyone around you miserable. Miserable. More important than all of that, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Paul should be well known because he learned contentment. Verse 10, I am content in weaknesses, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I learned to be content in Philippians, no matter what condition, circumstance, life throws my way. Paul became famous because he learned that no low could crush him. Paul would not despair no matter how low the lows got. He would never be crushed by any condition. But in our passage today, in the highest of all highs, Paul also learned how God would keep him from conceit. And this is the pendulum, my friends. This is the pendulum. I think it's the pendulum not only in the life of Apostle Paul, it is the pendulum, it's the pendulum in the life of every genuine Christian believer and follower. He will keep you from conceit and he'll keep you from being crushed in the highs and the lows. The pendulum. What's the thorn? What's the thorn? Uh, we don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> sorry, I wish I knew. I don't know how many sermons or commentators I've read on this, having grown up in the church. It could be a chronic ailment, a chronic physical pain or condition, which I can't relate to, but I have heard how debilitating and how discouraging that can be. Maybe the thorn was constant anxiety, pressure, and trials that Paul faced. I mean, I can't think of any other life in which someone should have given up. Maybe the thorn in the flesh for Paul was just a constant, everything is stacked against him every day, nonstop. Maybe it's a trial that just never closes. It just, there's no closure to it. For some of us, maybe it's a family malfunction, a family history, a family pain. He's almost want to run away from in the holidays, but you keep having to face it. Maybe it's a bitter enemy, a personal enemy who has a vendetta against you. Haunting guilt and shame, a memory of something you did back then once. You can never forget it. Commentators would also say, even for Apostle Paul, maybe the thorn in the flesh was a recurring, persistent temptation and sin. Paul did sin. Paul was sinful. He felt himself more sinful than anyone else on the planet. It could be that the thorn was, Paul, although he didn't want to, kept falling into temptation and sin. You know, I thank God this morning that we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is because that is incredibly relevant and comforting for us all in this room today because it could mean anything. The thorn. The thorn. The Achilles heel. The besetting temptation and sin. The thing that just keeps haunting you. The thorn. We don't know what the thorn is, but here's what we do need to know. 
Paul says, it can be used in the hands of Satan to send messages to you to harass you. Paul calls out Satan via his thorn. How could this be? Well, you know, Satan always lies. So when you are tempted, Satan will lie to you. Go ahead and do it. No problem. No consequence. You're going to be forgiven anyways. God's going to love you unconditionally no matter what. Go ahead and do it. Then if you go ahead and do it, obey your flesh, listen to the enemy, do what you really, really want at that point. Then on the other side of after falling into temptation and now you have sinned, then Satan will level you with, how could you do that? What's wrong with you? How could you do that again? How worthless, filthy, stupid, and hopeless are you? Those are the messages that Satan will bring to harass you. There's no way God still loves you. There's no way God could forgive you for the thousandth time. There's no way God could redeem and use you again. Just give up. Give up all faith and hope and love. Give in. Paul says, whatever his thorn in the flesh was, could be used by the enemy to harass you and bring you down for good. But the same thorn that could be used by Satan to harass you could be used by God to humble and heal and love on you. To humble, purify, protect, sanctify, and save you from something much worse from something much worse. Did you know there's something much worse than the thorn itself? Did you know there are more miseries that you could bring into your life and the life of others than the thorn itself? It is the lethal condition of conceit. Pride. I can do life without God. I've got it all under control. You just let me work as hard as I can with as many resources, with as many avenues, with as many intel, with as many connections or wealth or whatever technology that I need. Just give it to me. I'm going to make sure I'm going to work it all out. Ah, but to protect and humble and purify and save you and I from the most lethal condition the most lethal posture in all of life of pride and conceit, it would be merciful of God to not only make you weak, but to keep you undeniably weak. I can't believe next Sunday we start Advent season. And next Sunday I look forward to sharing with you something I've been learning recently to cry and to complain about things is just natural and human. No one taught you how to cry and complain. You came out of the womb crying and complaining. Oh, but to turn that into a lament, to turn that into a prayer which takes faith, to cry and complain to God, not just to yourself or a therapist or to take it out on other people, that's something we must learn in this Advent season. We must learn in this Advent season. 
But as I think about this next Sunday, as we begin Advent, as a red eye, yours truly and Daniel Pack and Jung Lee will be going out to Southeast Asia to visit some missionaries in Southeast Asia. We just, our greatest prayer request for you is we would bring encouragement and strength and grace to our missionaries on the front lines for the gospel's sake. Well, I was talking to my doctor this week at Kaiser, and I said, I've got a 17-hour flight right eye next Sunday, which I dread. I think that's the worst part of the trip. I can't wait to see the people. 17 hours to Singapore? Doctor, just give me the strongest sleep medication you got. Knock me out. The doctor was going through the records over the phone. I says, oh, Harold, I, you know, I think Ambien would be the thing. And going through my records, I says, oh, I realized that we have prescribed it to you before. Yes, you did. You did give me Ambien before. He says, it was in 2013. And in 2013, not only did we give you Ambien, we had diagnosed you with insomnia and depression. I had forgotten, and I shared this with my wife this week. And I got to think about 2013. Why? What happened in 2013 where I'd have insomnia and depression? Hmm. CCSA became a church in October 2011 after four or five years as an English ministry of Sweden's Presbyterian Church. There was such a sense of, yes, accomplishments and joys. It was the first of its own kind to become our own church side by side with the mother church in 2011. About a year, a year and a half in, right after what we would call some of the highs in the history of CCSC, it was a year filled with unforgettable, devastating trials and losses. Losses of people whom I love that I will never, ever really get over on this side of heaven. And then I do recall in 2013, oh, a hospital episode, massive unhealth, irritability, couldn't sleep, so much vicarious trauma, the symptoms that would come from that. 2013. Three years ago, as you may know, I hit a, another kind of low where I had nothing left to give, but I don't know any other church that would restore and love me back to some semblance of health. The highs in 2011, the lows in 2013. Another low three years ago, and then there's just so many highs. It's uncanny, the pendulum. And it is remarkable how God continues to give a thorn. I don't know what your thorn is. You don't know mine. But here's what I know. Oh, how God loves me so. Oh, how God loves you so. Because in and through the thorn, only through the thorn, his power rests. His power comes to perfection. His power resides. His power explodes. There's a popular meme that was being thrown around. I think about last year. They were talking about which Top Gun character from Top Gun 1 
Who do they represent when it comes to Christian denominations? <laughs> I thought this was pretty accurate and hilarious. Top Gun 1, Goose, Goose. Remember Goose? Enthusiastic, musical, expressive. Plays the piano. Who does he represent? What denomination? Oh, our Pentecostal charismatic friends. Absolutely. You know, Pentecostal charismatics can actually clap. They actually clap on beat. They dance with rhythm. Mm, go figure. Wow, it's crazy in worship. Pentecostals. Goose. Which character in Top Gun 1 would most represent the Reformed type? The Presbyterian type? Iceman. Be the Iceman. Iceman, cocky, confident. He can know and recite to you what is right by the book. He makes sure everyone else knows that he's right by the book. But Iceman doesn't always get it right. In fact, Iceman is dead wrong when it counts the most because Iceman still believes in his own strength. The pendulum, the thorn, now the paradox. Here's the summit, and it's not the summit that you think you would reach. It's not the summit you may prefer, but it's the summit. It's the summit to the entire letter, and dare I say, it's the summit, the highest place that Apostle Paul himself could ever reach. Here it is, starting in verse 8. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. What's this? The thorn in the flesh, that he should leave me. Paul pleaded. That's the word. Pleaded. He begged. Huh? He cried. He was persistent about it. Three times with the Lord, let this thorn leave me. Get it out of my life. But God said no. Does this remind you of anybody else? Someone pleading and begging for God to remove something. To make it easier. Bring me any other alternate route. Please God. Anything else but this. Does it remind you of anybody? The gospels record in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ the son of God. Repeatedly pleaded and begged of his own father. To remove Something much worse than a thorn. Jesus could begin to already sense there was something coming unprecedented to him. Such an agony. Such a forsakenness. Such holy fury captured in hell that would fall upon him at the cross. Jesus was so desperate he so didn't want to go through what he had to go through that his sweat turned into blood. He cried so loud that the disciples who were falling asleep could remember what he said. Jesus, the Son of God. God, could you please remove this thorn? 
God said no to Jesus. God said no to Paul. My dear friends, you know what God says to you and I this morning? Oh God, oh God. Would you please just remove this? Would you please just heal and fix this? In my family, in my heart, in my memories, in my life, in my body, in my soul. Would you please get rid of this person who keeps showing up in my life? And do you know what God says to you this morning? No. Not for now. I won't remove the thorn for now. But I'll give you power in it. I'll give you my grace for it. And I'm going to make you strong and beautiful because of it. No, I won't remove the thorn. No, God will not give you exactly what you want exactly at the right time. No, God will not give you and our church and our community in this world what we think is best. But he will give you power and grace and strength because of it. How can you know that the power of God always shows up in our weakness? How can you trust that the power of God is going to rush and show up in our weakness? Because if and when you see Jesus Christ submitting and entrusting himself to his father down into agony and suffering and death only to be resurrected for us. Jesus Christ rose from the dead for people who would believe in him. That means no matter what your thorn is, no matter what you're going through, no matter how long it takes, no matter how painful it may be, God will always work it out infinitely better in the end than if you had tried to work it out in your own wisdom. This is how every Christian life works out in the end. Doctor, doctor, really? You're going to knock me out? You're going to put me under that anesthesia? You're going to let me go to sleep? Yeah. I assure you, you're going to be okay. You're okay. Let me just work on you while you sleep. When you get up, you're going to be so much better. God does that so much better in and through Jesus Christ. God made Paul weak and he kept him weak. Is God making you weak? And do you not know God wants to keep you weak? And he wants to keep you weak because God wants to keep saying something to you. And he wants to keep you weak because he wants you to keep saying something to him. It's in verses 9 and 10. It's in verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what God wants to keep saying to you. That's why he keeps you weak. Therefore, now this is what we get to keep saying to him. 
Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you want the power of God? CCSE, we really want the power of God? Down into weakness, God will keep us. Down into weakness, God will make us. Henrietta Mears, I don't know if you ever heard the name, suffered from early childhood extreme myopia, which is a severe eye weakness and irritation. In her maturity in ministry, now please, Henrietta Mears did not say this when probably she was a teenager. I think she had to grow up in grace and in the, in the gospel for many years. But in her maturity in ministry, here's what she once confessed. Henrietta Mears, quote, I believe my greatest spiritual asset throughout my entire life has been my failing sight. For this has kept me absolutely dependent upon God. As Henrietta Mears' disability grew, she went on to become setting the standard for Sunday schools in America. She founded Gospel Light. She published the book, What the Bible is All About. She was an influence to a young Billy Graham, as well as Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. Henrietta Mears, my greatest spiritual asset is that which kept, kept me absolutely dependent on God. This week, there was a song that was replayed in my head. I don't think... I don't think I remember it for 20, 30 years. There's a a mission trip to Mexico. And our college pastor, David Yi, was just singing this song. And I just want to share the lyrics because God has an enormous sense of humor. Harold, you're never going to outgrow that day. You're never going to get past this day. When you heard your college pastor sing these words. Down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. In your presence, Lord, I seek your face, seek your face. There is no higher calling, no greater honor than to bow and kneel before your throne. I'm amazed at your glory, embraced by your mercy. O Lord, I live to worship you. Here's the summit. Here's the mountaintop. It's down at his feet. Here's the height of all heights. You are called to worship. You are called to give your life to him. Because God gave his life for you. You will never get higher. You will never get further. There is no happiness or glory or joy or contentment in all of life that you will find outside of this. The summit. The summit in Apostle Paul's life. The summit in the life of Jesus Christ. And it is the summit for you and for me. My power, God's power, is in weakness. 
Let's pray as we come to the table. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the preciousness, the truth, the relevance, the power of it. And we pray that it is carried forth by your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit who brings about all ministries that we could never muster. Oh Lord, nourish and feed and strengthen the hearts and bodies and souls of the people you love this day as we come to the table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.